Good morning, good morning. How are we doing? I am your host, Ali Shapiro. And this is the morning mix. The morning mix. We hope you had a great day yesterday. As a Jewish nation, we uh, unfortunately mourned the loss of two Torah giants yesterday. Maybe we'll have something to say towards the end of the show exactly about who we lost. Regardless, as always, there's just too much to talk about. There's just too much to talk about this morning. So, here we are. And, you know, this this um, game play, game stock play has just... It's just been, uh, it's just been evolving. It's been evolving. So much, so many components here. So many components here. We're witnessing, again, and as I said yesterday, what, to me, this isn't, this is beyond the technical element of exactly, exactly what happened, how the stock was shorted, what a short means, who did what. To me, this is a cultural issue. This is an issue where people get to see in front of their very eyes, people who are not political. You have to realize there are millions and millions of people who aren't political at all. Hundreds of millions of people across, you know, America, whatever, Canada, Europe, people are not political at all. But then something happens that's not political and it drives them because, and and they have an opinion about something, right? They have an opinion and then it, and it drives them over to the other side just because the opinion that they had is being challenged by somebody who they have, may have trusted. And instead, of course, you see, this is always a challenge. Do we then change our opinion? Do we then change our opinion based on the person who we may have trusted initially giving us giving us some sort of information? Do we now say, oh, well, you know, I trusted so-and-so and he's telling me something. So even though I've developed an opinion about this, well, maybe I'm wrong. Or do we then disqualify does that opinion disqualify the individual who is who we're hearing from obviously it depends on what it is but very often very often the the opinion that we've developed that we've established we keep and we now reject the individual who we may have trusted obviously obviously it depends on what but here last night i think it was last night jimmy kimmel jimmy kimmel started talking about this Reddit issue. Let's hear what Jimmy Kimmel has to say. Jimmy Kimmel here. The impartial one that he is. He's so impartial. He loves Republicans. He loves conservatives. He loves middle America. He loves Donald J. Trump. Doesn't he? Oh, even if it's politics, it's still need politics. Surely he... GameStop. If- Surely if it's politics. You don't know. It's a video game. Surely it's only politics. He must not. And like a lot of businesses, they've been. Let's go back here. GameStop, if you don't know, it's a video game store. And like a lot of businesses, they've been struggling because of COVID. But also. Because most people buy games on online now and yet despite a sharp decline 
decline in sales. Over the past six months, their stock price has grown by 8,000% because a bunch of amateur investors, maybe even some Russian disruptors who are part of a Reddit community called Wall Street Bets, decided to buy a bunch of GameStop stock. And hear that? You hear what he said? You hear what he said? He said that the reason why it happened... The reason GameStop, why, if you don't know, it's a video game store, and like a lot of businesses, they've been struggling because of COVID, but also because most people buy games online now. And yet, despite a sharp decline in sales, over the past six months, their stock price has grown by 8,000%, because a bunch of amateur investors, maybe even some... Russian disruptors who are part of a Reddit community called Wall Street Bets decided to buy a bunch of GameStop stock. And what did Wall Street? Dis- where, where, where did this idea of, of Russian disruptors come from? I mean, is he just is he is he really just making that up? Did he just did he literally just make up Wall? Where, where, where have we even heard this? I mean, does he want? Is there a reason why? Is there a reason why he wants to go to? He wants to go to the. Russia, Russia, Russia. Is there is there some sort of agenda to say Russia, Russia, Russia? I don't know. It's a funny thing, but the fact is, he also says six months. So it's going on for six months, but all of a sudden now we've heard about it. Only now, what happened? Only that only now have we heard about this issue in the last five days. Five days this has been going on, but but this is something that 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 it's been going on for for six months. It's an amazing thing that he's able to to lie to people like that. And, you know, and again, so long as it's politics, politics, so people don't necessarily have an opinion of because because they're not into politics. But they like these apps that give them access. They like these apps that give them access. And now they don't have and, and now they're, they get to see in front of their very eyes exactly how these how they operate. They want to be able to start playing a little bit on the market. They don't know a trade. They don't know. They don't have some sort of trader. They don't have somebody on, you know, they don't do this enough. So they don't have somebody. They don't have an account with TD Ameritrade or they don't have a Charles Schwab representative. They don't, they don't know how to start investing. As far as they know what, it's a free market, right? Aren't they able to just start investing money? So they're not, they're apolitical people. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden they have, they, they buy into this frenzy of, of GameStop or one of these, one of these, one of these stocks, the AMC or, you know, Blockbuster, one of these things that are soaring in this, in this, uh, in this short period. And they, and they, and they get stuck because now they can't even, they can only sell. So they see that the price goes down. They see right in front of their very eyes that they don't matter. They don't matter. And everybody who's telling them one side of this, they get to are, are then disqualified, and that's a good thing because again, what we when we see what's in front of our eyes, when we see just how just how this game is is not is we are we are not a factor. We are not a factor as far as they're concerned. We don't even exist. Yeah, okay, you can you can buy some stocks, no problem. As long as as long as the people at the top are still are still gaining, that's the point. That's the point. You know, Russia reminds us that there's an article I saw. Uh, a couple days ago, Russia, Russia, KGB groomed Trump as an asset for 40 years. You hear this? It's from Times of Israel. <laughs> they make it up. 
former U.S. President Donald Trump was nurtured as a Russian asset for decades. Starting in 1980, a new book claims, with Moscow actively encouraging the businessman to enter politics many years before he won the presidency and supporting him throughout numerous failed business ventures as it built a deep relationship with the mogul. It's an amazing thing what they want us to believe. He was an asset. Former KGB spy Yuri Shvets, who worked for the KGB in Washington, D.C. for years in the 1980s, told journalist Craig Unger in the new book American Compromat. Unger's book is based on interviews with numerous sources, including Soviet defectors and ex-CIA agents. In it, he makes the assertion that Trump's relationship to Russia as president one in which he appeared repeatedly at averse to criticize Moscow and often took actions such as desirable, seen as desirable to leader Vladimir Putin was directly tied to his cultivation by Russia over long years. Donald Trump was the most, the, the most, the hawkish, most hawkish president on policy against the, against, against Russia. The fact that they even, that they even printed this on their, on their, on their website, publishes on their website, is embarrassing. But why not? Why not? It's, 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 you know, they, they didn't make it up. They're only, they're, they're only playing into this narrative of, of, of Russia, Russia, Russia. A narrative that they, that if you, if you speak about that, you're, that's completely okay. That, that conspiracy, that's, there's no, nothing wrong with speaking about that. That's okay. Russia? Yeah, sure. I, there were $40 million and thousands of subpoenas and, and, you know, uh, hundreds of lawyers working on it, 13 angry Democrats. No, 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 no. That means nothing. The fact they couldn't find anything, that means nothing. The fact that they ruined people's lives in their pursuit of this Russia hoax, that means nothing. But, you know, we can, we can publish something. There's a book out there, and so now we can talk about it. And there you have, there you have Jimmy Kimmel talking about it. Jimmy Kimmel says Russia disinformation and, and maybe there was Russia, it was Russia involved in this Wall Street bets. What is the agenda in that? What is the agenda in that? So like I said, this, moving beyond the technical element, moving on the technical element of, of this, of this, um, moving on the technical element of this Wall Street game we have to understand that there's much 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 more at stake a lot of the people that are involved personally witnessed their families destroyed their during the housing crisis of 2009 where again the system is always rigged against the little guy the little guy doesn't have to be the lowest middle class that's the little guy the system is rigged against him you want to hear we're going to talk about now a different issue, but it's all connected. The COVID, COVID uh, lockdowns are being eased in certain areas. We mentioned that California has now eased. Governor Newsom has eased some of the lockdown, some of the lockdown measures. Governor Governor Gavin Newsom. So today you're now allowed outdoor dining. So outdoor dining. So they saw an increase of numbers in California as soon as they banned outdoor dining. Was it because, was it because outdoor dining isn't really, isn't, isn't, isn't affecting the numbers? Outdoor dining has now been reopened. 
that's that's a good thing. We want everything to be reopened. So slowly, the more things open, the better. Like I said, I don't think it's going to be enough for it's going to be enough for uh, what's his name for Newsom to save himself. I think that that uh, I think that ship has sailed. I think that he's I think that he's uh, he's toast. Please God, that's that's the truth. But regardless, there were a couple of stories out of California. That I actually wanted to read. I like these two stories that I saw. There were two stories coming out of California, and they were, they were, each telling a different, a different, giving us a different picture picture of exactly what's happening in California. The first one, the first one was that a highway. What is this? Ah, here it is. Put it on the side here. Huge piece. Of Highway 1 south of Big Sur Falls into ocean. Along the central coast, California's scenic highway is closed. Highway 1 is closed 20 miles south of Big Sur, Big Sur, Big Sur, after a section of the roadway collapsed on the cliffside below gave way amid torrential rain. Photos of the highway show a huge piece of the road missing with both the north and southbound lanes washed away. Caltrans spokesperson Jim Shivers said the damage to the highway is called a slip-out. So we lose part of the highway, and now we're facing a project to clean and repair that stretch, Shivers said. This is the only location we are aware of where this happened in the storm. Our maintenance team is patrolling the highway now to look for other damage. Shivers said it's unknown when the road will be reopened, but engineers are assessing the situation and should have more information later today. So this is... This is Highway 1, which, I don't know, I'm just going to assume that Highway 1 is an important highway. It is called number 1. I know where we live, Highway 1 is a major highway. So, so this is, this, this, why is this a story? You know, I'm sure there are all, there's all sorts of infrastructure issues across America, across Europe, Canada, Israel. Why is this a story? Well, it's a story. It's a story because there's another story that was in the headlines about California. Another story that was in the headlines about California. And that was that California, San Francisco, to rename 44 schools with racist namesakes, including Washington, Lincoln, and Feinstein. I wonder, do they not have better things, purposes to allocate their money? Is there nothing better out there for them? They just have a highway where a big chunk of it collapsed, whatever, fell, however that happens. So they have, a, they, they have a, an infrastructure issue. But this is where they're putting their focus. San Francisco will rename 44 schools, including campuses named after former presidents George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Abraham Lincoln. And, get ready for this, Democratic Senator... Diane Feinstein. A near unanimous Monday vote by the San Francisco Board of Education with only one dissenter comes after years of debate and much scorn, including from Mayor London Breed. What a great name. Sounds like a dog. London Breed. <laughs> Sorry. Over the reckoning of historical figures and their contentious, flawed legacies. It's a message to our families, our students, and our community, board members Mark Sanchez said in the meeting. 
per the San Francisco Chronicle, it's not just symbolic. No, you're right. It's not just symbolic. It's going to cost millions of dollars. That's right. It's going to cost millions of dollars to rename high, high schools. And what are they going to name them after? That's a different question. And why are they renaming them? Why are renaming them? The namesakes of the schools must adhere to a new set of guidelines, including that individuals honored by a renaming are not slave owners or abetted in slave or genocide attached to human rights violations or are known racists and or white supremacists. This, mytho- this mythological group of people. White supremacists. Washington and Jefferson, for instance, were slave owners. While former San Francisco Mayor Feinstein, right, because because she's she's the Democratic, uh, she's the senior senator from California, senior senator from California, and and she's a Democrat, obviously, she's in her eighties. I think she, I think she's eighty four. I want to say, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe seventy eight. I remember making making a. I thought that she was. I thought, let's just quickly check this. How old is she? 87. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was wrong. And she's, and I think she's filed, excuse me, 87. 87. Look, can I hire her? At 87, to be able to even, you know, joke about re- being, being, um, being, uh, in politics and business working, I, I think it's like, it's commendable in, in the sense of, 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 of sheer, of sheer vitality. Of sheer vigor that she has been able to, 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 you know, I mean, obviously if it was a Republican, there was no way that they, that the public would allow that. The, the media would be all on top of it. And she's so shown signs of senility. And I, I, I say 87. And I think she's even filed for reelection. <laughs> okay. April 20, April 13th, 2021, she will become the longest serving senator in California history, surpassing Hiram Johnson. In January 2021, Feinstein filed the initial Federal Election Commission needed to seek re-election in 2024 when she will be 91. Okay? Okay. So. <laughs> it's, 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 it's crazy. Anyway, so why are they gonna take, she's a, she's been a champion of the, of the left. She's been a champion of the left. She was the one who came after Amy Coney Barrett and said there's a, there's a religious dogma that exists in you. The, now, I'm not, I'm not a big proponent of Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett, I don't think she helped our cause during the election at all. She sold us out. She sold out to the president. But regardless, regardless, what did Feinstein do? Well, Senator, when she was, when she was mayor of San Francisco, was listed after reportedly reinstating Confederate flags by City Hall in the 80s. So she was reported. What does that mean reported? It's not even clear who gave the order. It wasn't necessarily her giving the order. Lincoln, widely revered for his issuing of the Emancipation Proclamation, was chosen based on his treatment of First Nations peoples. See, see? There's no purity. No one is ever pure. Everybody is tarnished. I mean, surely, in order to be, in order to be, uh, um, in order to give attention to one group, you have to, you have to show, um, you have to show hatred to another group, right? You have to, you have to show, uh, um, the, you know, lack of tolerance. If you're going to show tolerance for one group, say the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. If you're going to show pa- tolerance for the Palestinians, and you're by definition you're going to show intolerance 
for the Israelis. I mean, obviously, you know, there's no, there's no absolute in that. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying absolute, but it is a general rule. As a general rule, if you're going to favor one, you're by doing so, you're dis, you're you're, you're disfavoring, you're you're showing un, uh, disfavor to another. Who decides which one you show favor to? Okay, of course, of course, it matters. So this is this is why she's been you know canceled in essence. She's been canceled because because of that, Senator Feinstein. First grade teacher Jeremiah Jeffries told the Chronicle in a widely circulated December quote: "Some other namesakes, legacies such as Junipero Serra." Jose Ortega, Vasco Nunes del Boa were based on colonization and abuse of indigenous people. Another storied figure was John Muir. Moyer, Moyer was also selected for renaming due to comments that invoked racist stereotypes made toward black people. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Even Mayor, I'm skipping around a little bit. Here. They have until April to determine new names. The issue of renaming San Francisco schools has drawn national attention with former President Donald Trump lending his tweeting powers in opposition to this, to this decision. Some criticize the lack of historian involvement in the renaming decision. Even Mayor London Reed, Breed again, entered the fray, criticizing the renaming of school and calling it offensive last year amid the pandemic and the continuation of school closures. Yeah, I was thinking earlier, what, what, what about, what about, uh, what about school is even relevant today? Since one of these kids even going back to school? Breed said in a statement Wednesday, this is an important conversation to have and one that we should involve our communities, our families and our students. What I cannot understand is why the school board is advancing a plan to have all those schools renamed by April when there isn't even a plan to have our kids back in this classroom yet. See, there he goes. He's at least, he's at least you know talking about this issue. Like, maybe we can get our kids back to school before we discuss what the name of the school is. Let's bring the same urgency and focus on getting our kids back in the classroom. Then we have that longer conversation about the future of school names. My dear Lord, he he actually has a point. So, what is the point here? What is the point here? Aside from the absurdity. The absurdity. That their kids aren't in school. That they are devoting any energy to this that they are that they are wasting even a penny because the point is is that this makes them feel good this is their their virtue signal at work they get to virtue signal while californians are actually suffering they get the virtue signal they get, to, they get to tell everybody, look, we are going to cancel, we are going to eliminate the history of all these people. And what, what happens when we, when we start to focus, when we shift our focus on things that actually matter, and to the absurdities of renaming vast amounts of schools because some people don't pass the threshold of, of contemporary, of the contemporary definition of morality. That's what re- that's really where our focus should be. Is that really even where our focus should be? If you don't realize, and California was at one point viewed as the utopia, if there was such a thing, California had the highest. Everyone was moving to Cal- California. Everybody. What happened? We talk about this. We can't. We have to realize what California is. There's an article out of Ynet. Coronavirus t- crisis takes brutal toll on Israel's middle class. Out of work and burdened with soaring expenses, a growing proportion of Israel's middle class is being plunged into poverty. Hmm. 
I wonder why. Roughly 800,000 Israelis are out of work. Figures from the Israeli Employment Service published earlier this week show of those 150,000 lost their jobs in the past few weeks alone after the start of the third nationwide lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic. Here, you want a sad story? There was a, an, this was reported on a mess, on one of the forums, Haredi messaging forums. They said, uh, 250 food packages which were donated to B'nai Brak families. And I think it was partially because of the, of, uh, it was, it was in response to the government's, uh, mistreatment of B'nai Brak residents. So, 250 food packages were, were, were ruined with something called goash. Goash is that wretched stench that they spray when they're trying to evacuate a crowd. So they'll do it at Haredi weddings. They'll do it at, at events. They'll spray this awful, awful stuff. It cost half a million shekel to buy. I don't know how long that lasts. It cost half a million shekel to buy and they sprayed it last week or yesterday, whatever it was, and, and all over something outside of an event and right there were these food packages that are now spoiled. It's, a, it's an awful stench that stuff leaves. And they, they, they do it intentionally. They do it intentionally. All those people needed that food. All those people needed that food. Well, it's ruined. I don't know if it's salvageable at all. I can't imagine. Unless it's, unless, unless it's all wrapped up. I can't imagine. It's, it's nasty, nasty stuff. Of those 150,000 lost their jobs in the past few weeks alone after the start of the third nationwide lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic. Andrew Boschko is the director of the Housing and Andrew Organization, Housing of Andrew Organization, with the help of Leket, Israel's national food bank, Bajgo runs eight homeless shelters in South Tel Aviv and needs 50 people each day. During the, during the pandemic, I've been receiving requests from average people who just simply haven't received a salary for a long time and are unable to pay their rent. We are not able to help families because we don't have apartments for couples. We house men and women separately. In recent months, a growing number of Tel Aviv residents have reached out to Bajko for help. Some have been out of work for months due to COVID restrictions and were simply unable to make ends meet. Many were hoping that financial assistance from the government would be enough to keep them afloat, but soon discovered that they could no longer afford to pay the sky-high apartment rents in Tel Aviv. There's been a big change since the pandemic, Bajko says. People who've simply collapsed are coming now. Too many were depending on the state to help them and ended up falling apart financially. Nearly 2 million Israelis are living below the poverty line, according to a new report by the National Insurance Institute published last week. That number represents 23% of Israeli citizens overall and about 30% of children. More pointedly, the report revealed that Israeli families' standard of living dropped considerably in 2020, with the median economic income decreasing by 22.7%. The main victim of this drop was the middle class. At House of Andri. The shelters are nondescript. Each house has eight residents on average, and the so-called house manager ensures that things are kept neat and tidy. Lev Mordechai. Lev Mordechai. He simply has just fallen on hard times. The crisis, 57-year-old building contractor. The crisis has really hit homeless people, says Mordechai. Those who have a place to live might be suffering from some losses, but people here have hit bottom and need the most help. We're really feeling the effects of the crisis here. In the past, Mordechai said an abundance of food donations would make their way to the residents of the House of Audrey on a daily basis. When residents and hotels were forced to shut due to the spread of COVID, these donations began to dry up. 
Leket fed 175,000 people across Israel each week before the economic crisis, but that number has ballooned to 246,000 people a week in just months. When you go to visit the nonprofits, which I do a lot, the nonprofits say that the population has just completely changed, says Shira Wolf, public relations and marketing coordinator at Leket Israel. It's people who have never in their lives stood in line at a soup kitchen looking for food. It's people who are working in high tech and they got put on furlough, Wolf says. Now, you know, I just want to put, put, throw in here before people are responsible for themselves ultimately, right? We're not saying, we're not saying that, you know, if you, if you, if you were saddled with heavy debt and now you're in a, you're, you're stuck and that's the government's problem. But, but it is the government's problem when they inflict this on people. And that's the point. These are, this is all completely avoidable, completely, 100%. What would happen in a world where, where, where the virus was left to take its own effect and people were allowed the proper medications? I don't know. I don't know. I think we would be, I think we would pretty much be living as we, we would always, as we lived in, in previous periods like that. <sighs> the number of families living below the poverty line jumped from 20.1% in 2019 or some 582,000 families to 29.3% or 850,000 family, 850, families during 2020. Significantly, the organization also found that middle, the country's middle class shrank by 15.5%. sad. These are very sad numbers. These are very sad numbers. Very sad numbers. And, 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 and it's, you know, we, 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 we read the absurdities of California and changing of schools, but it's all the same thing. It's on a different level. The absurdities, the absurdities that we're living through right now, the absurdities that we are living through right now, as though this is our only problem. Our only problem is a virus that kills 99.95%, but by, by 0.0005%. I mean, it's, 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 it's such, it shouldn't even be something that most of us are talking about. Now, of course, again, People aren't getting the simple drugs that can solve the virus for them in the early stages. They have no advocates at the hospital when and if they do get admitted. Unfortunately, they're not, they're being deprived advocates. They're being deprived relatives. They're being deprived anyone from coming in to actually witness what's happening and advocate on their behalf. So people are dying. And of course, once people die, well, the numbers are going up. The numbers are going up. Why? And then once the numbers go up, we're in a state of panic. We're in a state of fear. And while Newsom has a little bit of, of, of threat against him because of, of this recall, what do we have here in Israel? It seems as though the, the politicians are only coming down harder and harder with this election coming. It seems that that's all that's happening. What do the, what do we have? What do we have? to be able to fight with. So in America in, in, in America right now, there's been actually a little bit of a development, which is also a good thing. It's also a good thing. The um, there was a lawsuit. There was a lawsuit, and the more lawsuits that come, the greater chances we have of fighting. That's the honest truth. You're not necessarily gonna win one 
but out of 100, you might win 10. The greater chance, the more people. So what's this lawsuit? This is a lawsuit against the insurance industry. Someone sued his insurance uh, his insurance policy. He 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 he, he, he sued the insurance company because the insurance company was not was not going to reimburse him for damages due to the COVID nineteen uh, lockdowns. The insurance the insurance um, company obviously maintained that this isn't their responsibility. It's uh it's the government that did this, not them. And that apparently hasn't worked for everybody. Not every, this judge is a judge here. He has not accepted that. He has not accepted that this is a, um, he has not accepted that this is a, uh, that's, that's, that is a legitimate response. So what did he say? So I'm going to go back. I'm going to play a little clip, Viva Fry, because he explains this very, very clearly. Let's first hear what he has to say, and then I'll and then I'll give a little background. More important than what the insurance policy covers is what is excluded from the insurance policy coverage. This commercial insurance policy excluded losses resulting from microorganisms, and there was also a debate over what the term loss of property meant. In this case, in order to avoid paying out the claim, the insurance company argued that loss of property meant physical loss of property and not loss of enjoyment of use of the property, and they also argued that the COVID-19 pandemic fit within the microorganism exclusion of coverage. There was also an aspect to this claim that the insured was claiming that the insurer's refusal to pay out the claim was motivated by bad faith, the judge summarily dismissed of that argument, but the judge gave reason to the insured on the two other arguments. The judge came to the conclusion that the business interruption, the loss, the claim here did not directly result from any microorganism, so it was not covered by an exclusion under the policy. Rather, the loss resulted from a government measure, not from the virus itself, and therefore it was not excluded from coverage under the policy. Moreover, the judge came to the conclusion that the loss of property did not need to be a physical loss of property, it could be just a loss of enjoyment of property for it to be covered under the policy. From what I understand, as is typically the case when the insurance company loses, this decision is going to appeal, but this is a very important precedent, not only from a jurisprudential point of view, but from a policy point of view. It is the depressing reality of politics and lobbying, but you want to know how you change government policy. You get very influential people with deep pockets, with a lot of monetary sway to put pressure on the government to change those policies. And if judges across the country... I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him, I'm gonna let him repeat that basically. But here, he, he's breaking, he's breaking down two different points. First is the, the argument why the law <clears throat> is in favor of this, uh, uh, of, of, of the, of the restaurant, of the restaurant owner and the other plaintiff, or let's call him. And the other reason, and, 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 and then the, and then far deeper than that is why, why one restaurant suing makes so much of a difference. Because we have to realize that, that, the same way that the the Wall Street are able to get regulations made that interest them, so too insurance companies are able to get politicians to uh, make laws that will interest them, or in this case, to lift, to lift, to ease laws, to ease bans. We're gonna hear what he has to say right there again. 
policy. Moreover, the judge came to the conclusion that the loss of property did not need to be a physical loss of property. It could be just a loss of enjoyment of property for it to be covered under the policy. From what I understand, as is typically the case when the insurance company loses, this decision is going to appeal. But this is a very important precedent, not only from a jurisprudential point of view, but from a policy point of view. It is the depressing reality of politics and lobbying. But you want to know how you change government policy. You get very influential people with deep pockets, with a lot of monetary sway to put pressure on the government to change those policies. And if judges across the country start ordering insurance companies to pay out under policies because they deem the losses to be not related to coronavirus itself, but as a result of the government measures, once you start getting orders, ordering insurance companies to pay, it is only a matter of time before those insurance companies start putting a lot of pressure on the government to start reopening things. The minute these lockdown measures start costing big industries big bucks, you will start to see government moving because you will start seeing a lot of people lobbying the government to open things up. The government may pretend to listen to the little people, but the reality is they take their orders from the big people with the deep pockets and the monetary influence. And once the insurance industry says to the government, you better start opening things up because if we have to start paying these claims out left, right and center, we are going to go bankrupt. The government will start to move. And even if this is by no means a jurisprudential consensus, having one brave judge in Ohio set the wheels in motion, set that little domino that pushes over a bigger domino that pushes over a bigger. Okay, so we get his point there. Once you have one, once you have one, it's all a tick. It's all it took. So there's two different, again, there's two different factors here. Yes, it's, it's just one lawsuit. Yes, it's just one lawsuit. And yes, you know, we have no idea. We only, all we have, we have no idea what's going to happen from there. But all you have need is one judge to have a little bit of moral courage. Moral courage. One judge, all he needs is a little bit of moral courage. And, and the insurance companies, <laughs> they have pretty deep pockets. And they have lots and lots and lots of connections in in walls in in in, uh, in politics. They can very very quickly get the get the uh, get the uh, the country open. Sure, they have. I mean, you know, if you turn on CNN, the, the numbers even not even there anymore. You know, for for months they had the CNN the the I haven't seen this, but I've, I've read about this. They had the CNN counter of deaths. It's amazing. From the moment the new administration and the former VP was 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 uh, inaugurated, they took that down because, of course, the numbers don't matter anymore. Once he's once he once 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 the new administration once the new administration was sworn in, so the fact that you have the insurance companies maybe they're a little bit scared now because they were convinced that they were going to be exempt. You know, this was more you know this was more of an act of God in the sense this is a this is a this is all happening due to a, a a virus. No, 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 said this judge. This is not a virus. This is not a virus. This is government lockdown. The government is intervening here. And that's a very promising thing because, you know, all, 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 even though it's happening in America and we're here in Israel, obviously, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. So we're going to be following these different stories. We're going to be following these different stories. It's, uh... It's a very, it's a very important, it's a very important, uh, it was, it was, it's a very promising change. Very promising change. Well, I want to end off today very, um, with something to, you know, I want to say something a little bit about, uh, we lost yesterday Rav David Soloveitchik, and Ritzlik Shiner, and, uh, I personally had been had 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 been privileged to 
visit them on different occasions a number of times. Rabbi Yitzchak Shiner more frequently than Rabbi David. Although as a Talmud, I'm personally, I'm personally in many ways a Talmud of Rabbi David. But um, Rabbi Yitzchak Shiner would very often speak. Whenever I, 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 I heard him speak a number of times, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd often say that he, he was a, a, uh, an uncommon, an, you know, his, his, his background is very uncommon. He grew up in America. He was born in, in America. And he ended up marrying the granddaughter of Rav Baruch Ber Leibowitz, who was also a, uh, who was also the primary Talmud of Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim Brisker, Chaim Soloveitchik, the grandfather of Rav David. So there's also a, a, a connection to, between the two of them in that. But beyond that, beyond that, Rav Yitzchak Shiner would often talk about how, you know, he was born in, he was born in, in Pitts, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pins, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he ended up marrying the granddaughter. He went to, he went to Peabody High School. And he married the granddaughter, granddaughter of Baruch Ber. His line was, if I'm not mistaken, could you imagine the, 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 the divine gymnastics that Hashem had to do in order to, in order to accomplish that? Something like that. The gymnastics that Hashem had to accomplish that he, an American boy born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, should be able to marry a granddaughter of the famed Baruch Berlebovich, Baruch Berlebowitz. So, that was something that he lived daily. Every time, like I said, something that I would hear from him, I'd heard from him a number of times, he would say this to people, could you imagine what, what Hashem had to do? And I remember one vart that Rabdavid Soloveitchik told me, when I was, with, I was with a group, and he said, he asked a question, specifically, this is in the to the Parshish that we're reading now, he asked, if you look at the end of, after the Makkas, throughout Parshas Vayra, the question is, he asks, why is it that Hashem has to constantly tell the Mitzrim, Q is it, is it remind the Mitzrim, that the reason why, the reason why this is happening, is v'yidaitim ki Hashem. The different, there are different lashenus, you know, the different different expressions that the Torah uses. There's v'yodu mitzrayim ki Hashem. There's v'yeda. There's l'manteda ki Hashem. There are different there are different expressions that l'manteda ki ein ka Hashem lekenu, etc. Why why is this? Why does the why does why does Hashem have to constantly remind? At the end of of each mako, before each mako, why is it that there's a constant reminder? Said of David. Said of David, because if you look at the first interaction between Moshe Rabbeinu and Paro, the Achar said, Pasuk says that Moshe and Aaron come to Paro. So says Hashem, God of Israel, Shalachas Ami, send out my nation that they should, that they should celebrate. In the desert, make a festival. What does Pirate say? Who is this Hashem that I should heed His voice, that I should listen to Him? 
Veshalaches Yisrael. Lo yadati es Hashem. And not only that, Begamus Yisrael Who is this Hashem? Who is this Hashem? And so, Hashem reminded him. And each time, each time there was a Makkah, a devastating Makkah, he would, he would, he would remind him again. Each time, you know why that happened? Because you denied me. It's not about me, it's not about me, God demanding that, that Paro recognize him, obviously. It's a matter of, of, we have to live recognizing that every single thing that's happening right now, ultimately, ultimately, has divine intervention. In some capacity. We're not getting into exactly what that means. But in some capacity. Every single thing has divine intervention. And while we're, while we're living in truly historic times, not as a cliche, you know, we use that term, oh, it's historic times. No, no, no. While we are living in truly historic times right now, we have no idea how this is going to play out. I'm of the opinion that we have to fight at every level. We have to fight at every level. We don't just say, oh, God must want this. No, 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 no. We have to, we have to do what we have to do with, we have to, th- you know, we, whatever we think is right, we have to act upon. We don't just sit by and let, isn't, you know, God take care of his world. No, no, he didn't, he didn't do that. He left us to take care of the world. God did not, did not give his Torah to the, to the angels. We are supposed to act based on, on how we view things. But, we have to remember that ultimately, ultimately, the, the, the gymnastics that Hashem is able to do are never, are never beyond. There's no limitation. There's no limitation. He can make a, a, a Pittsburgh, Pennsylvanian boy marry the granddaughter of the, of, 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 of Baruch Bear and become the Rosh Shiva of a, of, of, of a leading Yeshiva for decades. For decades. <clears throat> so, you know, we, uh, and I'll just say, I'll just say something, I don't really have too much to say about Rabbi, a, you know, Avram J. Tversky. Nothing, nothing, nothing good, nothing bad, nothing, God forbid, I wouldn't say anything bad, but I'm just saying nothing, you know. And there's also things that I've read, also things I've read, uh, you know, different little pieces. But I do think that there's, there's something to be said that he was Nifter at the same time, that he passed the same time as these two giants. Of these two giants, that it must have been a schuss for him. He must have had a schuss. I will say that I do think that there must have been a schuss that he had that put him on a, maybe a different level than than uh, we think he is, because he was zeicha to have passed at the same time as these two hundred years of illuminating Torah giants. So that's the idea, you know. That's that, that idea, and you know, we think we have to live with this idea at every at every single juncture, every junction. We have to live with this idea that uh, that uh, ultimately Hashem is controlling the world, and uh, and please God, please God, the the atonement of losing such great people in such a brief period, however, however, the whatever the, whatever the mechanism is, if it if it you know that it should work to wake up wake wake us up. I'm not going to start to suggest why it happens. You know, a lot of people like to do that. They like to say, oh, this happened because of it. No, 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 we don't know. Whatever the message that we're supposed to get, though, is, let's take it. Let's take it. Let's not start suggesting, oh, it's because people didn't do this and people didn't do that. And people, I'm not going to start suggesting why God does what he does. 
but we should at least daven that whatever whatever we can get in our merit in, a, in as an atonement for losing these two giants we should please god i will be back with you again tomorrow we hope you have a great day and uh that's been our show i'm ellie shapiro this is the morning mix bye for now <laughs>